This episode is sponsored by Macmillan Audio. This week, I'm excited to share an excerpt of A True Account by Katherine Howe, read by Patria Burchard. Clark's Wharf is nearly as long as Long Wharf, but older. Half a dozen snows and brigs and a couple of little schooners and sloops rubbed their hulls against the pilings, their lines and rigging creaking. Sails all furled and put away. No one was about. No bent-over boys scrubbing any decks or barefoot figures climbing rigging silhouetted by the sun. Even the gulls were quiet. Start listening to A True Account by Katherine Howe now, wherever audiobooks are sold. Hello and welcome to A Bookish Home. I'm your host, librarian and writer, Laura Zaro-Papinski, and today my guest is Nancy Juyun Kim, author of What We Kept to Ourselves, a riveting new novel about family, loss, and consequences of secrets. Nancy is also the New York Times bestselling author of The Last Story of Minna Lee, a Reese's Book Club pick. Born and raised in Los Angeles, she lives in the San Francisco Bay Area. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you for being here, and congratulations on the new book. I was completely enthralled by this story and these characters, and I've so been looking forward to hearing more about it. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. Just to start, if you could tell listeners a bit more about the Kim family in this novel, and, you know, we meet a lot of different characters in this story and there's um, different perspectives and um, kind of a lot to unpack. So I guess just to start maybe a little bit more about the characters kind of at the heart of this. Sure. Um, What we kept to ourselves is about a Korean American family in Los Angeles. It takes place. It begins actually in a sort of Y2K 9th December, 1999 world where there's this kind of apocalypse on the horizon But we also have this Korean American family that is unraveling when their mother disappears a year prior to this and a dead stranger appears in their backyard. And so the conflation of these two uh, events really forces them to reckon with what they believe happened to their mother, who their mother was, and what they actually believe about themselves, which they haven't shared yet with each other for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm primarily interested in the ways families are sort of these ecosystems. They're kind of microcosms for society at large. You know, they kind of reflect the systems that they exist within. And so we have this very divided family, which to me is is a great metaphor for a divided country, a, a country that is kind of struggling to learn to talk with each other in so many ways, as much as we have so much in common. And um, this family is, is, is just fascinating to me. Um, we have a mother who, you know, was an artist at one point in her life. But of course, she kind of sets aside all of her own ambitions and dreams so that she can create a foundation with her husband for, the ch- for her two children, Ronald and Anna. And we are kind of sort of dealing with this broken family um, that's divided a dead stranger who reflects another family also within America, a a very, unfortunately, a very common story because our stranger here is unhoused. And the kind of intersections of the, this Korean family's aspirations with the sort of actions, consequences, um, and the struggles of another family. You know, it's the kind of feeling I'm coming back to, when reading a lot of this is just sort of like a a heartbreaking feeling of sort of the misunderstandings that come up or just the ways that we are wrong about other people's Mm -hmm. intentions or 
um, misconstrue things. And it's, it's interesting because obviously we know this as the reader because we're reading from different perspectives and we're able to kind of see those missed connections or misunderstandings. Um, and so I wondered if, because it would be so different if we're just reading from one family member's perspective, um, it got me wondering if you um, kind of knew how you wanted to structure the book at the outset. And of course, because we're going back in time as well. Like, did you know that's how you wanted um, to kind of get at all of this when you first started writing? Yes, definitely. Um, but like my first novel also takes place from the point of view of, of two characters that aren't speaking enough with, with each other. Um, there's the limitations of language within an immigrant family, uh, the separation between Korean speaking parents and English speaking children. So that to me is a very, um, obvious obvious thing that uh, hurdle that that families have to overcome but for me it's a kind of also an articulation of a universal struggle i think that families who speak the same language also struggle to figure out how i'm going to say this to one person how am i going to break this news to them what happens when i break this news to them what are they going to be you know what is the response we spend a lot of our days sort of ruminating on the various ways that people you know, respond to us when we articulate our values, when we articulate what matters to us, when we articulate what's hurting us, what's keeping us up at night. And so I'm very much interested in how individuals become silos within families and the ways that their stories overlap without them even knowing it sometimes. Um, so for me, it's always been really important to have multiple points of views in, in my work because I, I feel like uh, that kind of gets to the core of the themes and the things that I'm exploring. That's so interesting, that phrasing of people becoming silos in their own family. And that kind of gets me wondering, too, because I think the title is so perfect, the what we kept to ourselves. Did you did it take a long time to come to that title or was it always called that as you were drafting? Oh, yeah. Oh, this is such a great question, because um, I always have another title in mind that doesn't end up being the final. Title. <laughs> um, and this is always the case. This is often, you know, this is a good question because it, it, it doesn't get asked enough because it's so fascinating in a lot of ways because it shows it, uh, you know, the kind of thought processes that a novelist or a writer has to go through. You know, I started this book 20 years ago and I, I just finished it within, you know, I, I just published it this year. And um, so there's been a long kind of up and down process. The first title for this book in the current form that it is in now was actually called The Burning of a Book. And it's based off of a poem by Adrian Rich. And I find that to be so um, devastatingly real to our climate today, especially as a librarian. You yeah. know, librarians are so important to helping us preserve our stories, helping children continuing to access stories where they see themselves in them. And so for me, you know, the library also has a huge role in this book. To me, this was a kind of exploration of that that original title was an exploration of kind of storytelling within our society and like the importance of preserving it as much as possible and also the responsibility we have towards each other within families of not only, you know, oh, I wish mom and dad told me more about this, but also what story am I telling the people around me today? Right. Right. And it's not even just, it doesn't have to be verbal. It's in the food that you make and the way that you express yourself in any way possible. You know, what are, what are the stories that we're leaving for others and not just what people didn't leave behind for us. And so what we kept to ourselves, I think, is a wonderful title, and I'm glad that we ended up going with it. Um, but that wasn't my original. Yeah, it's almost like the book has a whole different life before, you know, and mm -hmm, different title. Exactly. And, 
Yeah. Well, it, yeah. Well, and I'm interested that it um, took 20 years because one of my questions was going to be about like, because the last story of Minna Lee was like a Reese's book club pick and a very big sort of debut, was it difficult to figure out how to follow that up? And so in this case, it sounds like maybe you went back to something you had been working on before. That is exactly true. And so this probably would have originally been my first book um, because I started it such a long time ago. Um, and it's really the success of my pub first published book, The Last Story of Mina Lee, that gave me the time and the resources to actually finish this book, which to me is a, a kind of an epic family saga. It took many years to actually get to the heart of the story and to kind of construct the plot for it. It's, it's, it's kind of intricate in a lot of ways, right? And so- right. Um, my first novel was also very complicated, but it, it, it for me was a much more straightforward story that I wanted to tell. And so publishing that one kind of liberated me to work on and to dedicate myself to actually finishing this book, what we kept to ourselves. And, uh, so it's been wild. I, there is a lot of pressure. Second books are notoriously hard. I mean, everybody talks about that because the expectations are so high, but, uh, you know, I think every book is going to be a challenge from here on out. Every book presents its own challenges and I'm, I'm excited to meet them. I mean, I think that's part of growing and, and growing up as a human being alongside my books. So this book, in a lot of ways, it took me so long to write also, not just because it's, you know, plotted intricately in a lot of different ways, but I, because it really, it, you know, I wrote this book as a dedication to my father. It begins with the point of view of a kind of classic American patriarch. He's coming home in his dilapidated American car. He's holding on to the dream. He, he works very hard. His children don't know him enough. And that's how he continues to protect himself in order to keep working in a lot of ways, right? And yeah. so this was a book for my father. My father died about 20 years ago um, in an accident. And I was very uh, much estranged from him. And I had a, a lot of feelings of anger towards my father because he, when I was a child, he abandoned my family. When my, you know, my mother was a single working class immigrant you know, who raised two children on her own in a foreign country. And I was wow. so resentful to my father for a lot of ways because he wasn't present. And I think it took me 20 years to write this book because it took me 20 years to forgive my father. I mean, that's the reality of it. You know, I became a mother myself during this time period and being a parent myself and really seeing the ins and outs of like what my father might've been going through and couldn't articulate the kind of pain that um, being a parent sometimes resurfaces, you know, it's very triggering, right. right? When we watch our kids go through things and we like see ourselves in them and like, we're trying, you know, they kind of provoke all sorts of emotions that sometimes we don't even have the ability to articulate. Mm -hmm. And I um, fully, you know, um, forgive my father. And I feel like writing this book was an act of forgiving him. Was there also you know, I see some threads of then Sunny's experience with your own moms. And I, and I was curious about her character and kind of trying to get inside her head or like any research you had to do. What was some of that maybe like from like family experience? What, what was what was kind of capturing her like? Some of it is um, based upon, so I'm not a big researcher. I hope one day I will be. Like, I'm not a novelist that puts a ton of work into it. You know, some novelists will spend years researching a book and, you know, and then they're going to like kind of procrastinate on writing. I kind of write and research along the way. So for me, in a lot of ways, you know, I became a mother myself, you know, as I worked on the final draft of this book, a first time mom. And so I understood the loneliness of what it is to be a mother. I was also a mother during a pandemic. And so I had zero help, 
zero childcare, no babysitter. I had nothing. Yep. And so in many ways, <laughs> I identify entirely with Sunny, who comes to this country. She knows nobody. She's so lonely. She has two children. She's in this cramp. She starts off in this cramped apartment by herself. Everybody's working all day long. She's, you know, she has no help. And so, of course, I identified with that immediately. Um, mm -hmm. And the artistic side of her uh, does come from my family because my mother is also a painter who kind of gave up her painting life when she came to this country. And um, I grew up in the arts and I have a lot of artists in my family, so I didn't have to do any research for that. <laughs> I got to skip the research part on that. Yeah, no, that's it's just in. Yeah, that is interesting kind of tapping into different parts of that character through, you know, aspects of your own life. And and it's interesting, you know, that this probably uh, in so many ways, you're talking about like forgiving your father as well, too. And that this, even though the book was in, you know, process for so long that it probably couldn't be what it is now, mm -hmm. unless you had gotten to those different points in your life. And um, that's so interesting to me. Well, you know, I was wondering too about um, because it is, you know, woven together in this way. And um, it's also sort of like a bit of a mystery as we're reading um, not only, um, you know, the, um, the kind of the man they find in the yard, sort of like what his story is and what's happened with him, but also um, and kind of connected, but like what's happened to, to Sonny. And so as you were, drafting this and I guess even revising like did you know for sure what you wanted all the puzzle pieces to be and how you wanted things to unfold did that take a lot of um you know going back to the drawing board what kind of because there it is so intricate what was that like oh it was a ton of going back to the drawing board I mean I think this book has probably had about five to six major revisions, you know, in addition to all the smaller revisions. Uh, um, uh, for me, it, it, I, I'm not a person who outlines in the beginning. I kind of work as I go because that's how I enjoy it and that's how I endure the process of it. And so I, I allow myself to make lots of mistakes and sometimes I can't see the forest or the trees until I like finish a draft and then I go back and look at it and I'm like, oh, there's not enough this year or there's not enough there. So what ends up happening is I actually create more work for myself because I don't outline, but I enjoy the work more, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. because I like the kind of exploration of character. So for me, it, it really begins with exploring character, putting them in different scenarios, kind of testing them in these different scenarios, and then later kind of figuring out what works and if the actual the results actually support my themes and what I'm trying to say. So it's a lot of back and forth. I think it probably, my editor, Natalie Halleck is extraordinary and like, you know, kudos to her for, <laughs> for, for pointing out all my issues and like trusting me to come up with my solutions. She's an excellent editor. And so I've been, you know, I feel very blessed in that way that I've been in this supportive environment and, and, and a lot of it has to do with the success of my first book. I mean, I, I was very fortunate in that way. Well, it's interesting to kind of, that it took so many revisions and, and kind of has had different lives because I also feel like it's a book where I was like guessing wrong for basically Ooh. like the entire book. Oh my goodness. Right. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. oh wow. Okay. Completely on multiple levels. Wow. And, that's so fascinating. Okay. Um, 
and was very surprised. Obviously, I won't give anything away, but like I did not predict the ending at all. Oh, okay. Nothing turned out how I thought it was going oh, to. Goodness. So, okay. um, in a <laughs> in a good way, I was like, oh wow, I, I you know, I definitely was on my toes and kept on my toes and wrong about things, and it was just really like satisfying at the end to kind of see how everything comes together and. The reading experience is just a, one that I, you know, I don't think I will soon forget. Very, very satisfying toward the end and, and oh, getting to see you. the different threads come together. Yeah. And I mean, I know you're saying you had kind of a very supportive experience given the success of your first book and everything, but do, do you have, even I guess when you were writing that debut, what's sort of been helpful on that writing journey? Is there like a writing community that played a big mm. role or um, were you kind of just kind of like keeping your head down, like getting the words in every day and it ended up kind of like coming together in that first book. Like what's some of your like routine and support been like kind of on your writing journey? That's such a great question. I, you know, we, we all get lots of writing advice and we all, you know, we all know that like, we all know what a lot of people say. Um, for me, what uh, I think has been the most critical in uh, keeping up this because I, you know, I graduated from my MFA in 2006 or so. So I've been writing for a while and I didn't, pub uh, I didn't publish my first book till uh, 20, this, the years have just gone by 2020. So the years have gone by so quickly, but for me, the most important advice and, and the most important thing that really changed my life actually was to, you know, and this is advice for a lot of people in any difficult industry where it's brutal and there's a lot of criticism is that, you know, I surround myself as much as I can with people who support me unconditionally. People who don't, you know, put any bit of doubt in my head, people who don't <laughs> chip away at my sense of self. And it has been really hard because I've had to make a lot of tough choices, you know, and to, I've distanced myself from people who I love, I love dearly, but weren't particularly great for my sense of self and my my and and kind of nurturing my own dreams and uh I, so i've made really difficult personal sort of choices in order to preserve this sense of myself that i think is really really important to to being a writer because i you know this you put yourself out there in ways and you're so vulnerable and there's so much negativity unfortunately you know just because that's the kind of the culture of our world where we, you know, feel like everybody wants to be a critic, you know, everybody wants to, you know, mm -hmm. have an opinion, everybody wants to, you know, um, without thinking of the kind of long term ramifications of that, that for me on a personal level, it's really important for me to um, set boundaries up, you know, if there are people who I feel like aren't going to be supportive of me or who are going to question what I'm doing, I just don't talk to them about my writing, you know, I talk to them about everything else. Yeah. It's kind of like being a mother or being a parent, you know, it's so hard to be a parent, right? And so to be around people who are like chipping away and making you doubt yourself constantly when like the world is already like tell giving you too much information all the time. It's like really important to have boundaries and to like make sure that, you know, because you ne we need to have a sense of self every day to like survive what we're doing. It's it's very difficult work. So yeah. Um, that, that parallel makes sense. <laughs> that parallel yeah. makes sense though too. Like you're only going to listen to like parenting advice from certain people or like confide in certain people and same, exactly. the same with writing. And it's yeah. making me think too, like I I'm sure now more than ever, like I, you know, if you were a author 30 years ago, I mean, of course, I guess you'd have like reviews in the newspaper or like mm. stores maybe would or wouldn't carry you, but it's probably so different now. I was talking to, um, 
Paul's Tatangi right before this, the author of the refugee ocean. And he was saying like, oh, wow. you know, he was like, I get great reviews and I get negative reviews and I get somebody giving me one star on Amazon because the package arrived late. And right. Like, you know, right. If there was ever a time to be like bombarded with what you're saying of everybody as a critic, I think it probably is now. Like it's just everywhere. Um, so. Yeah. And it's the same with being a parent, right? I mean, we don't feel like yeah. we need our kids the right thing at this time. How much screen time, how much, you know, yeah. Hug your yeah. kid too much. Hug your kid too little. Hug your, you know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, and it's just like, you know, we, it's like um, with being an author, I feel like, you know, which I don't think this ever existed, but we actually nowadays get critiqued for like things that are completely out of our control, you know? Like, you know, I think back in the day, people were, the criticism was mostly for the content. But now right. it's like we get criticism for like marketing copy, for jacket covers, for, and it's, and it sort of like gets attached to us personally in a way that it is really overwhelming and unfortunate. Uh, yeah. And so. you're probably more, again, the same, we'll just keep saying the parenting parallel authors and parents are probably way more aware of other people's like successes and failures Ooh. than we ever were before. And yes. um, that, yeah, it's just such an interesting yeah, time. I think boundaries are so important because of, are, have even become more important because the internet doesn't really have boundaries. And so, right. you know, for us to protect ourselves on a personal level, and that's also why the novel takes place. It begins in 1999 and it begins with this kind of idea of a kind of apocalyptic internet moment, right? Mm -hmm. Because for me, it was like the first, I, I, you know, I'm not a historian, but it seemed to me like the first time in human history where there was like a reversal of roles happening where children were teaching their parents something very useful which was to use their computers, you know, unless, yeah. your parent, unless your parent was an engineer, a computer scientist, you know, most kids these days, most kids at that time period were teaching their kids how to, you know, their parents, how to use the printer, how to use it, you know? Mm -hmm. And so for me, um, that is a kind of fascinating era in terms of, you know, the reversal of roles within families, how that sort of mimics the immigrant family where immigrant children are often sort of teachers for their parents in a lot of ways. Yeah. And it also kind of, I think, pertains to what we're talking about in terms of how the public kind of invaded private space in a really interesting way through the Internet, where we were constantly where we are now constantly aware of what the public thinks, because there always seems to be kind of a lens on what was once private spaces. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, we, we witness, you know, uh, this ne this couldn't have ever existed before. But nowadays, you know, I learned from my child and this is actually very useful stuff on Instagram about, you know, how to, how to talk to my child when they're having, you know, big feelings, et cetera. Yes. You know, but, but in the past, we never got to witness those things really in such a concrete and visual way in our everyday lives. Right. Right. So yeah. it's, it's great, but it's also kind of weird. And, <laughs> and yes. And like, I can't imagine navigating without it, but also it can be overwhelming to have this like fire hose of information always right there. Right. And exactly. uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Well, you know, I'm curious, given the like path for your first two books, what you're working on now, what that has been like in comparison. Is it something that like has been in the work for a long time? Is it something that like you, you're just embarking on? That's a great question. I was just working on it this morning. I am working on the third book and what I consider to be a trilogy at this point. Um, the last three meanly what we kept to ourselves. And this will have more, you know, because I, I work a lot in sort of what I call like think of as like entanglements of genre. So I'll be kind of visiting the thriller genre in this, in this third book, which is 
somewhat new to me because my first novel as first and second novel has elements they're literary with elements of mystery and suspense and this is a sort of exploration like looking at korean american families within working class los angeles an exploration again of storytelling in families and in society it's also going to be looking at crime and punishment within families and within societies and so it is ultimately an extension of the first two books that i've written but will be completely it's not a sequel in any way I'll definitely uh, look forward to getting to read that. And it's making me wonder too, you know, as you kind of grew up or even like throughout your early like writing career, are there like books and authors that you look back on that have had a really big influence either on like your um, like themes you're drawn to or writing style or, or just in general, like any books and authors that really stick out that have had a big influence on you as a writer? Oh, that's, that's a great question. I, I think immediately of, I mean, I love Elena Ferrante's work. I love the kind of intimacy of her sort of family scapes and her looks at like motherhood and women um, and, and the sort of interesting turns that her characters take. So I love the character work of Elena Ferrante. I'm kind of hooked on all of her stuff. I have Ferrante fever. Um, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I'm, I, I admire that she's anonymous. I love all of that whole, everything she does. I just love, you know, I love the shows that have been based on her books and also James Baldwin, um, because he had this just unflinching ability to, look at intimate relationships within the context of like kind of a larger sort of social understanding. And um, I feel like everything he says is right. You know, it's kind of like biblical for me on, on a certain level. <laughs> and so James Baldwin, Elena Ferrante, uh, Edith Wharton, I love her novels. You know, uh, those are kind of my three, the three people that I, I always turn to if I'm, if I'm confused or I'm not sure what I'm doing. This <laughs> <laughs> um, is often. Yeah, <laughs> for all of us. Um, yeah. Well, I guess just along with that, like in your kind of just daily reading life, are there books that have stood out to you lately that you would want to share with listeners? Yes, uh, I just finished. I did an event with Margaret Wilkerson Sexton on the rooftop, which just came out in paperback. And it is gorgeous. It's one of those books. It takes place in a kind of jazzy San Francisco um San Francisco, it's very historical, atmospheric, and but the characters are like ones that are, it's so beautifully written. And they're just the kind of characters where it's a mother and she has three daughters and she has so many dreams for her daughters to be uh, a, a basically a girl group. And it is, the characters individually are so well done and you, you close your eyes and you think about them and you worry about them, you know, oh, and they yeah. add so much to your life in that way. And so I love On the Rooftop. And I also really love Books Make Good Friends by Jane Mount, which I think is out now. But, uh, you know, Jane Mount is this extraordinary book cover illustrator. She's known for, like, uh, illustrating the spies. Oh, is it that, like, bibliophile? Yes, exactly. Author? She has okay. a new book called Books Make Good Friends. And that is such a great, it's such a great kid's book because I feel like it's layered in a way where it could be read at a lot of different ages. Mm -hmm. You know, it's one of those books where like the closer you look, the more you see. Uh, and it's filled with her favorite books. And also the main character, Lottie, is this outsider who first finds, you know, it's, it's also a great book for librarians and anyone who's a book lover, because Lottie is a friend, a, a girl who has more comfort making friends with her books. But eventually she finds friends through her books. Oh, And I, I love it. 
It's so I'm looking beautiful. it up right now and the, yes. even the cover, Oops. I'm like, oh, that book and that book. And... Bits make good friends so charming, so sweet, and just brilliant. It's layered in a way that works for adults, for children of all ages. I love it. Oh, I love that. I'm going to have to order that for my oh, kids like yay. right away. Um, oh, yeah. Yes. I love it. It's so great. I highly recommend it. Yes. Gosh, even this cover, I'm like, I could pour over this forever. I'm like, oh, that one's so wonderful and that so one too. Cute. And oh, I love that. Great recommendations. Yay. Um, well, Nancy, thank you so much for being here. I really hope that listeners go out and get a copy of what we kept to ourselves or rush to their local library. Oh, thank you um, so much. I so enjoy getting to hear more about it and just really highly recommend it to, to listeners to go start reading. Yay. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. For links to all of the books mentioned on this week's episode, you can visit abookishhome.com. If you are enjoying the show, I hope you take a minute to subscribe and also rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would encourage you to share it on social media to help other people find the show and this episode. Thanks for listening, everyone, and happy reading.